Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Each week brings a new message that looks to invite you into a new life brought by Jesus Christ. We hope you are inspired and changed by God by the message brought by today's speaker. This week, as we've been doing the process of, of getting ready to, to move, we've had to shop for insurance. It's been a wonderful time. <laughs> you know, shopping for insurance is a lot easier than it used to be. You know, you can go online, you can get quotes, but the problem is when you get quotes online, like five minutes, they don't even give you, they don't even give you 10 minutes to spare. It's like, oh, there's a quote, phone's ringing. It's like, no, I don't want to talk to you. I did this online for a reason. <laughs> you don't need to sell me the insurance. I got the quote. That's it. We're good. But insurance has been on our minds a lot this week. And as I looked at this week's passage, I thought to myself, goodness gracious, a lot of people read this like an insurance policy. Do you know when insurance was created? In the ancient culture of Babylon, in the Code of Hammurabi, it is believed to have the first insurance policy of some sort right? Then insurance got a little bit more uh, popular whenever the Europeans began, well, sailing the world to find new trade routes and things. And so guess what? The people who would fund those expeditions wanted to make sure that they didn't lose all their money in case, well, you died at sea. You died at sea a lot back then. Still, there's things that happen on cruises. I don't know how you people go on cruises these days. I couldn't do it. I'm, I'm terrified. It's like, I just saw the other day a cruise was on fire. I'm like, nope, never doing that. <laughs> Titanic scarred me as a kid. <laughs> and then, really, the first modern insurance came about after the Great Fire of London. Great Fire of London happened, I think it was in the 1600s. A ton of structures in London burned to the ground, and that's when insurance really became the thing that we know it as today. It is, of course, a thing to cover your investment, your resources, the costs in the case of a terrible event. And initially, it was always about investments, or it was just about property. But now, in 2022, we don't even just have insurance for property. We have insurance for health care. And we have health insurance, or we have insurance for life insurance? Life insurance is actually not the appropriate, it's actually death insurance. When you die, you need help to cover for the costs. They're like, how do we market this? How do we market money to give to people whenever they die? We'll call it life insurance. Sounds good. We have insurance that basically helps us financially to deal with the costs of losing whatever it is. Car, home, uh, your life, major health event. I think there's other insurances, too, that you can take out as well on this, that, these, and those. 
But if you were to talk to a person who has lost their home, they will tell you that when the insurance payment comes in to rebuild their home, it's like, okay, good. But it does not give them their home back. It does not give back the photos that they lost and their child's favorite stuffed animal. It does not bring back the, mem the, the place, the dwelling where they had these amazing memories. If you were to talk to somebody who has recently lost somebody that they loved, when they get the life insurance policy, the compensation, they're not going to tell you, ooh, great day, I just really feel great. The loss of that loved one is still the hardest part of that. We don't like to talk about insurance in this way because it is something that is what it is, but it's a, it's a cold transaction when we lose something. It's transactional. Sure, it helps us. Yes, you can get a bed the same size that you had before if you lost everything in a fire. Yes, when you lost that car, there's a chance that they total it and you get a few thousand dollars under a new car. Because <laughs> you're not going to get a brand new one, right? It is a cold way to deal with something that hurts us, that we lose, that we grieve over. And today as we look at a foundational piece of our faith, the salvation of God, Salvation is just a fancy word for how God saves. How God saves us. How God saves the world. That's what salvation is. Too often, I have heard that God saves us like it's an insurance policy. It is a transaction. When it's so much bigger, so much better, so much good. It's good news. And the thing of it is, is that you can tell when somebody sees what God has done to save humanity as an insurance policy. It reflects in their life. It really does. And you can tell that whenever somebody really fully understands the grasp of what Jesus has done for us. Just for a review, the reason why God had to do this was because he gave us as humanity free will. And we chose to go against his created ways for us. So God, throughout all of scripture, is about him trying to bring us back, trying to save us, trying to give us a way forward, trying to make the world right. And we hold in the Christian faith that Jesus Christ is the ultimate source of that saving work in the world. And so we go to Jesus to find out what it really means to be saved, what it really means to be a part of this writing of the world. This is the foundation of our lives. So we're going to that popular verse, John chapter 3, beginning with verse 16. All of you are like, we're rattling them off in our brains already. Again. Keep your minds open with a fresh perspective in this moment. But you need to understand something. As Jesus shares the most famous verse, arguably, at least in the past century, 
there is another person he is speaking to. He is speaking to a guy named Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Pharisees believe that the way that God would bless the people of Israel, God's chosen people, was to live into the law perfectly. In other words, do what God told us to do years ago. It was rule-keeping. It was behavioral modification. It was... It wasn't a bad life. And I think we need to really understand something. Nicodemus ain't a bad guy. Actually, Nicodemus is probably... Like, I think sometimes what we do with, with people in the Bible is like, oh, Pharisees, they were against Jesus, and we make them a villain. This guy didn't kill anybody. This guy never stole from anybody. This guy did not speak ill of people. This guy was a good dude, like many of you and I. This isn't some miraculous change from a life of addiction or a life of theft or a life of killing. This guy is a good guy. You would think, yeah, God's going to bless him. And yet, Nicodemus, in all of his goodness, all of his righteousness, comes to Jesus under the cover of night. You know why? Because if he was seen talking to Jesus, he could very well lose his position as a religious leader. In other words, there wasn't something right here. To talk to somebody and to lose everything, there might be something wrong with that, right? So he comes to Jesus, and I love how somebody, somebody put this. Nicodemus, even though he's a good guy, sorry, you can just, yeah, eliminate the background there. I, I messed up there. Nicodemus is a man of darkness, while Jesus is the light. He has made the choice to step into the light to ask questions. And in our passage today, we're going to hear a little bit about darkness and light. And if you really want to be a Bible nerd, read the Gospel of John and pay attention to every single time you see darkness and light. It's a whole thing. It's awesome. It's fantastic. It's homework. There you go. But even though Nicodemus is good, he is in the dark. He literally comes under the cover of darkness. And Jesus begins to share with him that people need to be reborn, which is confusing. He's like, surely you don't mean I need to go back to my mom, because she's probably, Nicodemus is probably older. She's probably gone. No, that's, that's not it. Then Jesus begins to share a, a story from the Old Testament of whenever the people were being attacked by serpents. And the remedy that God provided was actually to put a serpent on a pole and people who were bit were healed. Yes, I know that sounds like voodoo. Uh, it sounds a little crazy, right? But God brought healing in the moment. So Jesus is trying to share that the problem with everything is around a sickness and a healing perspective. And Nicodemus doesn't really get it yet either. So then Jesus plainly says it. In John 3, 16, we read these words. God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. 
And whoever believes in him is not judged. And whoever doesn't believe in him is already judged. Because they don't believe in the name of God's only son. This is the basis for judgment. The light came into the world, and people love darkness more than the light. For their actions are evil. All who do wicked things hate the light and do not come to the light for fear that their actions will be exposed to the light. Whoever does the truth comes to the light so that it can be seen that their actions were done in. God. What Jesus says to Nicodemus right out the gate would have surprised him. Like he would have been floored. God so loved the world? You need to understand, within Judaism, within God's people, rarely did you hear that God loved the world. God loved Israel, and Israel was to bless the world. It was not God loves the world. So immediately, Nicodemus is going to be caught off guard. And when you hear the word the world, it signifies the creation that has been, well, not living up to what it has, what it is intended to be. Us. Humanity that said, hey God, I want to go further than the limits that you've placed on my life. I want to do what I do. The other piece that I think is going to surprise us is that God so loved the world. Now, when you hear the word so, you often think of quantity, don't you? I love this so much. Because, like, so much, right? Oftentimes, you put much right after so. You're thinking of quantity. So God really loves the world. No, that's actually not what is being said here. God loves the world in this way that he would send his son to save the world. Anybody who's ever been a parent, ever sent their kids to do anything, understands that it can be nerve-wracking. Even when you have small kids, hey, would you go get this out of the kitchen? Oh, my Lanta, hopefully they can carry it all the way into the room, <laughs> right? Like, even when they're young, but whenever they get old and they get sent somewhere else, whether they're going to college or go off into work or their own place, you get nervous. God so loved the world that he would risk his son to go into the world to save it. See this? And this son saves the world by his very presence, by the way he lives, by the way he breathes, by the way he speaks, by the way he dies, by the way he is raised, by the way he teaches, by the way everything. See, what so many people do is they take John 3, 16 and they say, oh yeah, they're talking about Jesus dying on the cross. No, he sends God, or God sends the son into the world as a gift. And his life is a gift. It's not just about the death. It's not just about the resurrection. It's all of it. 
If you want to know how God is going to write the world, look at the way that Jesus writes his world. That's how the world is righted, in the very way that Jesus is present with us as a people. And when you begin to set things right, you come to the realization that everything in the world based on our own desires and our selfishness isn't as good. That's why whenever he begins to talk about judgment, it's not that Jesus did not come into the world to judge us and say, look how bad you are, just rather, when you look at Jesus, the standard is set and everything else is not good. Danny Quamstrom says it this way. God's love exposes our sickness and heals it at the same time. You ever, you ever been near somebody that you look up to? Like, oh man, they're really good. They're a great person, all this. Thing. And you just feel like, <laughs> it's even on a greater level with Jesus. Jesus is good. Jesus is love. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Nothing else compares to him. And it exposes who we are. Yeah, I am selfish. Yeah, I do things that behind closed doors that I don't want anybody to know. Yes, I have treated people with disdain and hate. Yes, I like to argue just to argue online. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. It just like popped into my brain. I don't know why. Yes, I am not Jesus. I am not what I could be. And that's why Jesus is sent to us to show us the way. And then he begins to talk about light and darkness, as I shared with you. Jesus, being that ultimate standard, brings light into the world, and every bit of darkness is exposed. Think of the cartoon trope. People are, or even, even like horror tropes and stuff like that. People are going through something. I think Scooby-Doo was like this, right? Scooby-Doo and the gang, they're going around with their flashlights, and they go to that one corner, and then there's some bugs, and they what, what do they do? <laughs> Scatter. That's us whenever we say, I want my way, as opposed to the light that Jesus has brought. So when we are given Jesus, when we are given this message that he has saved us and that he is the way to right the world, you still got that wonderful thing called free will. And you can choose to live in the light and to allow him to transform you, or you can love darkness. And there are plenty of people who say that Jesus Christ is Lord and saves and lives in darkness to this day. Because belief is not just about saying, oh, I believe in Jesus. It's about a life change that is different than what you were before. Gail O'Day says this, the way a person acts in the presence of the light is the defining mark of a person's identity. 
how do you know somebody really does believe in Jesus? There's all kinds of idioms that I can do. I could go scriptural. Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples by your love. Or I, can, I don't even have to go back to scripture. Actions speak louder than words. Jesus did not come into this world to set up a system for you to make a choice in which a lot of people say it this way, where he's saying, well, either follow Jesus or burn. When you hear the word perish, a lot of us think about hell. We're all dead anyways, y'all. You have a 100% chance of dying. That's why you have a life insurance policy. Again, it feels so weird to say that. Every single human up to this point, except for a few in Scripture, dies. We are on the road to our own ruin because sin brought death into our world. You don't have to make a jump to hell with the word perish. It's what we're already in. Jesus came to save you from that very death. So that you and I could have everlasting life. And you say, well, people still die. That's the thing. That God brings life even in the midst of death. And so we have to go back to what he says to Nicodemus before he says this. We must be reborn. To get off the path to death means to change everything. It means that everything in your life is centered around Jesus. Not yourself, not your family, not where you live, not your ethnicity, not your nationality, not your past and your previous mistakes, not your politics. Not your present, not even your future. It is Jesus now, the center of everything. That's what it means to be reborn. That the center of your life is in Christ. To believe in Christ is to have your center of life in him. We begin to speak and act and live in ways that bring God's rightness in the world. We participate in God's redeeming work. It's not just, hey, you're saved. Now go about your business. No, now you're saved. Go about bringing my good into the world, bringing my holiness into the world, bringing what I intended you to be into the world. It's a lot different from an insurance policy, isn't it? Insurance policy is pay the premium, get the reward later on. Do you see what I mean Why, when I told you that you need to look at this differently? So many people approach this passage like that. I just got to believe and I got that eternal life. No, no, no. You don't understand what the word believe means. It means to be reborn. 
to hand everything over to Christ for him to transform you. So if you're willing to say, yeah, I believe in God, but don't follow Jesus out the door, you're no different than Nicodemus in this story. You're still hanging around in the darkness. Because that's the thing. Even though Nicodemus says, hey, I'm pretty sure you're from God. Yeah, good job, Nicodemus. You have ascertained some great things from your observations. But Nicodemus doesn't follow Jesus the rest of his life. He goes back to where he is. That's the tragedy of this story. And I think we need to be very, very open and honest with ourselves if we have a belief that just says, well, Jesus Christ is Lord and nothing else changes. We're still holding on to our sins. We're still holding on to our identities that we like. We're still holding on to the resources or whatever it is that is getting in the way of us following him. Let's not be like Nicodemus, y'all. There are too many of us there are too many times that people are willing to be Nicodemus with their belief, but never walk out the door following Jesus in their lives. Follow him. Salvation is bigger than belief. A mental exercise. It is a whole life change. You give your sins over, you give your family over, you give your identities over, you give your money over. Yeah, nobody ever likes to give that over. You give over your preferences, you give over your anger, you give over your hate, you give over your grief, you give over your shame, you give over your guilt, you give over all the things that sin holds you down with. shows you how to love and forgive and to serve and to realize that life isn't about us, it's about him. It's about this world being made right in him and you and I have been invited to participate in it. Which made me get back to the idea of what it means to lose something in a terrible tragedy. What does help people in tragedy? Because we've already established it ain't insurance. It's not a transactional thing where, oh yeah, thank you for this and off we go. Because again, I think sometimes people are just saying, Jesus forgives sins and that's all they believe. Jesus forgives and frees you to He's making the world right through you. Anyways, back to insurance. The thing that makes somebody feel better in losing their home is when the friend comes over with a meal and an extra stuffed animal for your kid. And they experience a love that doesn't come through a transaction. Or it's the person who just ran into you with their car and you're ready to lay into them and the first thing that they say to you is, I am sorry, are you okay? I'm sorry, are you okay? You want to talk about something that, that will diffuse a situation is somebody coming out and actually caring for the person that they wronged. 
see how that looks like Jesus a little bit? It's when a group of people travel miles in the midst of a natural disaster to help a neighborhood recover. They have given their time and their effort and their finances to be with people and help them rebuild. This is what it means to live a life, a saved life, to be present, giving of yourself in love to others. Because God didn't just come to save you, he came to save the world. And this is how we make the world right again. When we love like he has loved This is why we don't just believe in this church to say, converting people to Christianity or having them believe in Jesus, we say growing in Christ. Because when you open yourself up to him and being willing to give everything over to you, he grows you, not to look like yourself, but to look like him in everything, in every relationship, in every moment, of every day. So the good news is Jesus saves and he gives you new life. Are you willing to receive that new life and walk that new life? As we pray today, if you are feeling like you might have missed something the first time that you said, I believe in Jesus, it's time to come and give it to him. It's time to come down to this altar and offer the thing that you've been holding back. And it doesn't have to be sin. It could be that identity. You might be leaning hard into, well, I'm this. God says you're better than that. God says you're more capable than that. God gives you a new life. So we're going to open this time of prayer silently. And if you feel led to come forward, please come forward to give everything to him. Let us pray. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.